You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Hey, what's up? My name is Sean Seguin. I'm one of the pastors here at Refuge Community Church. Thank you so much for joining us um, today. Man, it, while you're here, would you please drop a comment in the comment section? Uh, you can just, you know, just say hello, or even while we're preaching and stuff like that, would you um, say amen, whatever? Like, let, let's be make this as normal a service as possible during this whole season of COVID and social distancing. Man, we want to be as connected as we can. Thank you to those of you who are joining us for your first time. Uh, you know, we we are haven't officially launched it, and so we're hoping that these services give everybody a picture of, of who we are and and, and uh, do it in a way that's tasteful and everything else. But, but we really hope that that we can connect in some way more than just these these services. So please feel free to reach out to us, message us. Um, we'd love to connect uh, further. But um, at, at what we've been doing over the past few months in, in our sermon series is going through the book of Acts. We've been in this sermon series on Acts, and last week Josh spoke on Acts 8, verses 1 through 8, and he dealt with the fact that the gospel has spread from Jerusalem to Judea and to Samaria, as Jesus promised back in chapter 1. And, and so we're in this, this place where it's finally, the gospel is finally going out beyond the Jerusalem walls, and this, this is a, a very important moment. Um, but in my section, we get to see what happens when Philip actually goes into Samaria. What, what happens when he goes there? We get to see that story. So I'm going to dive into that in, a, in, in just a minute. But let's go ahead and start off with a word of prayer. Father, move us today. Uh, change us today. God, my words. God, God, everything that I have to say. I pray that you would uh, prepare and soften our hearts and our ears so that we might hear what you have to say, that we might be changed uh, today more and more and more into the image that you have created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so, growing up, I have always heard the, the phrase uh, referring to how to shampoo as lather, rinse, repeat. Lather, rinse, repeat, okay? Um, apparently, that's the instructions on a shampoo bottle. I went and checked my shampoo bottle. It does not say that, so I don't think it's on shampoo bottles as much anymore, but that used to be a big thing. I think it was a partially an advertising thing to get people to sell more shampoo because they would lather, then they would rinse, and then they would repeat lather, and then rinse, and then do they keep repeating? You know, that's that was always the question and the joke. You can imagine this person like washing their hair for all eternity or whatever, uh, as ridiculous as it is. Uh, but but the the point is like, hey, like you do need to repeat this this again and again. Like you will need to repeat this again and again, even if uh, you only wash your hair once and don't repeat. By the way, uh, if you haven't washed your hair in a while, you do need to repeat once. Is what I learned from the little bit of research that I did. But other than that, we are all gonna need to repeat that whole process again. Eventually, we're gonna need to take another shower and eventually we're gonna need to wash our hair again. And so this, this process actually does have to happen again. In the same way, we do this with our salvation. You get saved, now you don't get saved again and again and again, but that cleansing that God brings in your heart and your life has to continue. It's called sanctification. So there's salvation, but then there's sanctification, the, the continual, uh, like, cleansing of you. We t spend time in repentance on a regular basis. It wouldn't make any sense uh, for me to look at someone who, has, uh, who, who hasn't been saved yet and look at them and be like, uh, you, 
you haven't given your life to Jesus. Well, you're so arrogant, or you're, you just uh, are too prideful and won't submit yourself to the Lordship of Christ. It would be strange of me to say that to them if I haven't spent any time in repentance in the last you know, 20 days or whatever. Because the same arrogance uh, that, that may be stopping someone's heart from, from receiving Jesus is the same arrogance in my own heart that stops me from receiving from the Holy Spirit in that moment. See, there's this, this lather, rinse, repeat process that needs to take place in all of us. And by the way, that's, that's the title of our sermon today, Lather, Rinse, Repeat. Um, but this needs to continue in all of us. And what we see in our text today is that this is exactly what happens with a man named Simon. With a man named Simon. Um, and, and through his, his journey in, in, the, in this chapter, what we learn about God is that God meets us where we are. He lifts us up out of where we are. And then he repeats that process again. Lather, rinse, repeat. You get it? Uh, he lifts us up out of where we are. He, he, or he, he meets us where we are, lifts us up out of where we are, and then he repeats the process all over again. This is, uh, this is the way God works within us. I'm going to start off with the first point, which is God meets us where we are. We're in, verses, uh, in Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 13. Let's go ahead and read this. A man named Simon... Uh, had previously practiced sorcery in that city, that city being the city that Philip went to, to to preach the gospel in Samaria, and amazed the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least of them to the greatest, and they, had, and they said, this man is called the great power of God. They were attentive to him because he had amazed them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God and, and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Even Simon himself believed. And after he was baptized, he followed Philip everywhere and was amazed as he observed the signs and great miracles that were being performed. This is a city of people that are obsessed with power. Simon... Uh, is this sorcerer, and he's going and doing these miracles or whatever, and the people in the town are amazed by him. They even call him the great power of God, and he kind of is lifting himself up. These people are obsessed with power. They're obsessed with power. And then Philip comes along preaching the gospel, but also performing signs and wonders, doing these miracles, and everybody's attention turns to Philip, and everybody then repents and receives Jesus Christ that, that Philip is preaching. What's crazy is this man who, was, uh, who had amazed everyone is, is now amazed by, by Philip. They're all turning their attention, they're all giving their lives to Christ, and they're following this person around. The same man that other people followed is now following Philip. There's this sense of like everybody love who is craving power now is turning to this new power. And this is exactly what God, what God does. He takes those things that we idolize, those things that we crave, and he shows us, he reveals to us the true thing that we were craving was him all along. He meets us where we're at. And this is exactly what God did in my life, actually. In my ninth grade year, or by my ninth grade year, I, I was obsessed with new relationships, with new relationships. I, I loved uh, the process of like, Finding a girl that I was interested in, trying to get her interested in me, and then calling ourselves boyfriend and girlfriend would just be like, hey, will you be my, boy my girlfriend and whatever? Yes, yes, cool. That was it. Those relationships in, in my ninth grade year probably lasted about a week each time because once I had that relationship, I was like, well, this is boring now. Like, the chase is over. I love that, that like, attempt to get their affection. 
It was it's actually pretty sick. It was actually pretty twisted. But that's what I craved. I craved the, the ability to gain affection of a stranger or whoever, you know? And, and I went back and thought through this. I, I, I like legitimately like dated, okay, dated with air quotes. I legitimately dated somewhere between 25 and 30 girls in my, in my ninth grade year, my freshman year in high school. 25 and 30 girls. I clearly was obsessed with this like acceptance of new people. I wanted it so bad. I craved it so bad. And this is exactly what God used to rescue me. It's exactly where God met me. Because our church that I was attending had a youth camp that was about to happen. And guess what I was thinking? Oh, a youth camp? I could go there and find a new girlfriend. I, that's, what I, that's what I went there for. And so I'm there. I spot a girl. I start you know, th like working through, like, hey, maybe she would like me, talk to her, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, in one of the evening services, God completely wrecked me, you know, like complete, like I realized the, the, the wickedness of my sin. I realized my separation from my God. And I realized that the thing that I ultimately craved, the thing that I really wanted when I was going after all these different girls and trying to uh, uh, like earn their, their acceptance and their love or whatever, the thing that I really craved was, was acceptance and love from my God. That was what I really wanted. I needed to know that I was truly loved by the greatest being that there is, by my creator. Once I realized that it completely shifted my attention and my thoughts, but God meets us where we are. He does this with the Samaritan people. He, he, they, these are people obsessed with power. He sends someone with power to amaze them. God rescues us in that way. Isn't it amazing how God does this? Isn't it cool? Think about your, your own life. When you got saved, uh, if you can remember before you got saved, what were the things that you craved what idols in your life? What things in your life did, did you think this will bring ultimate fulfillment? What things were you obsessed with in your mind? Was it power, comfort, uh, pleasure? You know, wh uh, What was it? Love, acceptance, whatever it was that you thought you should find. What, what was it that you were after? And think about how God took that and, and redeemed it and showed you that those things weren't necessarily wicked desires, but in fact, they were desires that were meant to be fulfilled and pointing to God. Think about how God did that in you. Maybe, maybe you have never had this moment happen for you. Maybe you're watching today and you're like, I never really gave my life to Jesus. But for you, you have your own things that you're obsessed with, you know, the things that you focus on day in and day out. And, and God wants to reach in and meet you where you are at. God wants to rescue you in the midst of that broken thinking, in, in the midst of a thinking that will never be fulfilled. You will never have enough money. There will never be a good enough relationship, whatever, to fulfill what it is you're seeking because only God can fulfill that. And so God meets us where we're at. And I hope that God, uh, I hope that there's somebody right now that God is going to meet you where you're at. If that's you, man, reach out to us, send us a message, you know, direct, direct message us or whatever. And, and we would love to connect with you. But this, this is, this is what God's doing within Philip and within those, the people in the Samaritan village. He is reaching down meeting them where they're at, where their obsession for power is, their God is with power and then ultimately drawing them to him. So God wants to meet us where we're at, but he doesn't stop there. God also lifts us up out of where we are. 
So far, these Samaritans uh, have trusted in Jesus. They've been baptized in Jesus, uh, in the name of Jesus, but they have not received the Holy Spirit. This is this weird thing that uh, that we only, actually, we only see it here. It's the strangest thing. Uh, we'll dive into that. But first, let's look at this, this passage. God lifts us up out of where we are. Verse 14. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria received, had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. After they went down there, they prayed for them so that the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit because he had not yet come down on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So strange. For those of you who like have a little bit of knowledge in theology, maybe you've studied a little bit, you, you would say, hey, like, when you accept Jesus, when you believe, you receive the Holy Spirit, right? Like, that's how that works, right? And it's not how it works here. Why is that? Why is it? Why? How can they receive and believe in Jesus, be baptized in Jesus, and not have the Holy Spirit yet? Strange, right? There's, there's, there's something to learn. We're gonna teach, I'm going to teach you just a little bit about hermeneutics right now, uh, the study of Scripture, how to study Scripture properly. Some passages in the Bible are intended to be uh, read prescriptively, and some are intended to be read descriptively. Prescriptive texts, uh, prescriptive passages are passages that you read, that they, they do something, and that's something that you should, you know, copy. You should expect to see happen again and again and again. So that's prescriptive, uh, or it's a command or something like that. That's for all times, uh, and that's for you. Descriptive texts are something that is just describing a past event and doesn't necessarily mean it needs to happen for everybody else. This passage is a descriptive, not a prescriptive passage. And in fact, the entire book of Acts functions more descriptively than prescriptively. In case you're wondering, like this, this uh, it, the, the book of Acts is like the development of the new church. And in fact, the, there's like all kinds of developments that take place that, that they don't have systems in place. They don't have the deacon leadership in place. Later on, they have to figure out, what do we do now that Gentiles believe? Like there's this, this shifting and changing church and we can't like look at it and go like, this is how the church should be. We can't, this is describing how the church was and how it was developing and shaping. There are principles we can pull out of each passage and say like, let's apply this to our lives, but it's not a prescriptive kind of text that we look at it and go, we do exactly what they did here. That's just typically not what we see in the book of Acts. But I grew up in the Assembly of God Church. And in the Assembly of God Church, what we were taught was that you have salvation and then you have baptism in the Holy Spirit. These are separate things. You receive, you receive the Holy Spirit at salvation, but you're not baptized in Him yet. And so you, you, uh, you're saved, but baptism in the Holy Spirit is the empowerment for ministry. So you have saved from hell, but then you need to be empowered for ministry. Uh, and usually the evidence of that is speaking in tongues or speaking in other languages that you don't know. And so without that, you don't know if you've done it or whatever. And so you have this like first thing and then second thing that happens, subsequent event. They're not supposed to be happening. They don't typically happen uh, simultaneously. They typically in the AG church and the Assembly of God church happen apart from each other in a, a lot of charismatic churches. Um, and that, that typically is the case. And guess what is the key passage to prove that these things happen, happen subsequently? This one, Acts 8, <laughs> here in, in our passage. We, this is the passage that we would always go to back in the day when I was there. Look, see, you, you, you're baptized in the name of Jesus, whatever, but then you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That was the, the teaching. 
But this is, again, that, that would assume that this is a prescriptive text. This is a descriptive text. And so what is it describing and what is the author trying to teach us? Because uh, now I'm sure you're all confused. You're like, yeah, what, now what do we do with that? Like, why, how can there be a separation from the time you believe to the, like, the time they receive the Holy Spirit? I believe this is because of Matthew 16, verse 19, where Jesus tells Peter that he's the, he, he says, I give you the keys to the kingdom, and, and you're the rock on which I'm going to build this church, on the rock on which I'm going to build my church. Peter becomes a kind of like doorman for the Holy Spirit, for the, the full inclusion into the church of God. It's this weird thing, um, and, and I believe there's a reason why. He, he, we see this actually um, in Acts 2, Holy Spirit comes, they receive the Holy Spirit, um, but then he, Peter stands up and he preaches to the Jewish people, and the Jewish people then, in response to his preaching, receive the Holy Spirit. So it's Peter who first brings the, the Holy Spirit, it's through, whom, it's through Peter who, uh, that, that the Holy Spirit actually comes. And now we see in the Samaritans, Philip's already preached the gospel, but Peter uh, brings, uh, lays hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit again. We will also see the same person there when the Gentiles first receive the, the baptism in the Holy Spirit or receive the Holy Spirit. Um, Peter is the first person. He goes to the, the, the household of Cornelius and, and he goes there. And, and so we have the, the giving of the Holy Spirit seems to happen through Peter first to each people group. Once it hits those people group, it's just like open to everybody. And I think there's a really good reason for this, like a really good reason. Imagine Philip had preached the gospel uh, to these people and then they received the Holy Spirit from Philip, through Philip. These people, uh, the Jewish people would look at them and go, they could easily go, well, yeah, they, maybe they have the Holy Spirit, but that's that like deacon gift uh, from, that was like a gift from a deacon, not from the Peter, you know, the big guy, the good one, you know, we got it from him, so it's the good stuff. We know that, that the church struggled with this kind of stuff anyways. In Corinthians, you see, in 1 Corinthians, we see them struggling, saying, well, I follow this person, and I follow this person, and I follow this person. That is not going to cut it for uh, the Jewish to Samaritan to, to Gentile. They're, God didn't want to divide. And so in order to keep it from being any divide, he gives one individual that opens the doors to each people group. Jewish, then Jewish mixed with non-Jewish, and then to non-Jewish all the way. And this is the way God chose to work in this first beginnings of his church. I don't know. I think it's actually pretty clever, pretty intelligent. God knows what he's doing. Um, but uh, it makes for a really strange passage. But what happens then, ultimately, and I think this is the purpose of the whole thing, that God then, by doing this, lifts up the Samaritan people and says, you have the same status with me as these Jewish people who've trusted in Christ. It, and it can't be like, oh, well, it, was, it wasn't really Peter who did it. No, it's the same thing happening to us that happened to them. And so there can't be that beef that was there before. Now all of a sudden, Jew and Samaritan are, are, through Christ and in his spirit, are one. That is the beauty of what the gospel does. And when God meets us where we're at and he lifts us up out of where we were, then, then he does that through the giving of the Holy Spirit. And in giving the Holy Spirit, he gives us uh, a direct connection with God. Relationship is mended with God and with, and with one another. But, but also, so there's intimacy with God. There's a purpose in our lives. There's power that's given to us. How beautiful is it that we have received the Holy Spirit and how that is how God lifts us up. That's how he does it. It's through the work of the Holy Spirit. 
I remember when my des when I did get saved, my desire for new relationships um, didn't go away completely, but my desire for God exponentially arose. When I was walking around the halls of my high school, my first thought wasn't like, oh, I wonder if there's a girl there that would date me. I wonder if that girl would date me. My first thought was like, I wonder if that person knows Jesus. And I wonder if that person knows Jesus. And I wonder if that person knows Jesus. Like that, my mind had completely shifted because the Holy Spirit put new purpose inside of me because I realized I didn't need to, to, to find acceptance and love from anybody out there that I, whoever, whoever they were that I was searching for. I didn't need acceptance and love from them because I had it from my creator, the God of all creation. And in that, I can now relax. And in fact, know that now I have this purpose and I can walk in that and live that out. Similarly, the Samaritans wanted uh, power. They, they, were, they were power hungry and God uses it and shifts everything. Now, now they have the Holy Spirit, and, and now even, even Simon has the Holy Spirit. Now he has, he's been empowered, but instead of using that power to, uh, to, uh, to gain more notoriety for himself, the goal should be, and it should shift heart, their, their hearts to say, oh, you know what? I can use this to be a witness to the ends of the earth. That's what it's for. And man, like, I didn't realize, but I actually have a purpose beyond just me. And that's what we see happening when we, you receive the Holy Spirit. This gives you this purpose, this intimacy with God, this power that enables you to go and live out what God has called you to do. Thank God that we have the Holy Spirit. When you were saved, you were baptized in the Holy Spirit. You were, you were, uh, you were empowered for ministry right away. You didn't have to wait around for some subsequent event. You don't have to like, speak in tongues to know you have it. The reality is that you have it. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Walk in the fullness of the power of God that he's given you. Be his witnesses unto the ends of the earth. Go heal the sick, raise the dead, go preach the gospel with boldness. Go do it all, go. Well, I get it, the social distancing thing. Hey, whatever. <laughs> Walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Be who God has called you to be. Know that, that the Spirit of God dwelling in you has empowered you to be his witnesses. But even with the Holy Spirit, we're not perfect, right? Uh, this is why God does not just meet us where we're at, uh, and He doesn't just lift us up out of that place. God repeats the process over and over again. This is my third point. God repeats the process all over again. Verse 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that, so that anyone I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But then Peter told him, May your silver be destroyed with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this matter, because your heart is not right before God. Therefore repent of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, your heart's intent may be forgiven. For I see you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by wickedness. Pray to, pray to the Lord for me, Simon replied, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. So after, that, so after they testified and, and spoken the word of the Lord, they traveled back to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in, in many villages of the Samaritans. I love this, this last line here. They, they, go pre, they go back to Jerusalem, but they go, uh, into, they go looking for Samaritan villages now. I mean, think about this. When they were traveling with Jesus, they were thinking about going around Samaritan villages. 
But here, they're going, let's go find some Samaritans. Now, the same gift of God is offered to them. Let's invite them in. Let's go find them and invite them in. They're now searching for Samaritans to bring into the kingdom of God. It's beautiful. But what we see with Simon, his journey is not over. Yeah, he was saved. I actually do believe he was saved. I know that some people say, oh, like, this shows that he was actually still crooked. He still, it was all about power. But I believe, it says he believed. I think he, I think he genuinely believed. But I think the reality is that the same struggles that we struggled with before always can creep back up at any time. And here this man was following Philip around. Like, he was, he was believing in Jesus. He had been baptized. He was doing, he was like, listening to the teaching of Philip and, and now all of a sudden he sees these guys come in and, and they're able to not, not just, uh, they don't just have the Holy Spirit that gives them the ability to do signs when there's miracles, they are able to give the Holy Spirit which does these things in others. All of a sudden the, that desire for power creeps back in. He's like, oh, I want to be one of those guys. I could, I could be one of those guys. Like it creeps back in and you see the bitterness because Peter says there's bitterness in you. He, he, he looks at them and he goes, I want what you have. You know, there's this bitterness in him that still that desire for power creeps back in. The things that we struggled with before don't just go away completely. We still can struggle with them. I still, after I got saved, I still found myself uh, seek, seeking acceptance from people outside, you know, people outside of God, you know, like others. I still looked for acceptance from others. And I would find myself like trying too hard, you know, to impress somebody or whatever. And I'd realize, man, that same thing in me. I need to, need to re repent, turn to Jesus again. And this is why God has to repeat this process over and over and over again. And what he does for Simon is he, that this rebuke from Peter, this rebuke is like, hey, this is not of God. You cannot buy a gift from God. This is something that this, this calling of ministry that God has placed on us uh, is, is a gift. It's not something, it's a calling. It's not something you can buy with money. How dare you try to, to mess things up? And immediately, immediately, Peter's heart is turned and he, he's like, oh my God, forgive me. May this not happen to me. You know, like he's freaking out. And the reality is that the same thing happened to me after I got saved, man. Anytime I mess up, if I messed up after I got saved, that, that reality of the brokenness of my heart, I'm like, how can I, how can I mess up again? You know, the, the first time I, 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 uh, I smoked weed again after I got saved and I had given it up, I remember the broken, same tears, same snot, all that junk that happened at salvation happened again. It was like I needed to be cleansed again, like God was rescuing me again. I remember the struggle with lust that I, that I can, you know, went through again, you know, that I remember the, the different situations where I was seeking out girlfriends, whatever, and, and God continued to have to rescue me again and again and again. Now, I'm not saying that he repeats the process as in like, we fall, every time you sin, you go, you're back on your way to hell or something like that. What I'm saying is that he's lifted us up out of that place where you're not, you're not bound in sin, but there's still all this junk on you, all the dirt, all the muck, all the mire, and as you walk through this earth, you still pick up more junk, and we have to continue to clean ourselves up and align ourselves with the true identity we already have in Jesus. This is what sanctification is. The, the lather, rinse, repeat process. The repeat part of it is to keep us like in that place of healthy cleanness, you know, like that God offers. The reality is that that, that sanctification, that, that going, I want to align more with who I truly am, uh, is 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 part of what God has given us on a daily basis. This is what He gives to Simon when when Simon is given an opportunity to repent. 
man, and, and when I talk about us having our identities shaped by God, sometimes I think that can be kind of like a strange idea. What does that mean to, to let God uh, shape your identity? What I'm saying is that when you place your identity in God, to place your identity in God means to place the core of who you are in His hands and say, shape me as you will. To place the core of who you are in His hands and say, shape me how you will. Letting God shape the core of who you are. We can place our identity in other things. Man, I can place my identity in acceptance and, and allow, when, when I get accepted, I find myself, you know, like the core of me feeling valued and worthy. And when I get uh, rejected, I can feel devalued and unworthy. You know you've placed yourself, your identity in something other than God when you start doing that, right? When you start seeing it happen with different people. So, it, it, and sometimes we can place it, we can place our identity in, in our strengths, in our weaknesses, in our sins, in our past, in our, in our future. We can place our, our identity in what we do or don't do, in our passions, in our failure, like in, in any, we can place our identity outside of God anywhere. It's, it happens all the time and we have to recognize it and be quick to change that. The other place we can place our identity, another area we can place our identity is a little bit trickier. Uh, it's things like race and gender and, and sexuality. How quickly, you know, we, we say, well, this is what truly defines who I am. We can, we can find ourselves doing that as well with race, gender, and sexuality. And let me, let me be very clear. These, we are embodied people. We are embodied people. So these are part of, I believe these are part, core part of who we are. But if we allow those ideas identification markers to be the thing that shapes us, we have missed truly allowing God to shape us. We need to place all of that in God's hands and say, shape me as you will. Take my whiteness and shape it how you will. Take my heterosexuality and shape it how you will. Take my maleness and shape it how you will. Because if we don't, we will find ourselves aligning with unbiblical things simply because we have allowed the world to define what it means to be this or to be that. When we place our identity in God, He sheds off the junk that doesn't belong, that doesn't line up with the true identity that we have. And the true identity that we have is that we are the righteousness of God. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. We're the bride of Christ. We're a holy and royal priesthood. We are His prized possession. We are valued and worthy, because, worthy of the death of His Son. That's how much He loves us. Let that identity be the core of who you are and look to God and allow Him to shape you and remind you of who you are on a daily basis. Shed off all that, all that stuff. Let's, like, like Simon needed to turn to God and say, take this stuff away from me. Forgive me for my craving for power or whatever. Simon had to turn the same thing. We need to do this on a daily basis. Let God repeat the process in our hearts again and again and again. You are fully known and fully loved. And God, man, he, he wants to, to give you the full life, that you, the abundant life that he's, he's created you for. And that means we're going to have to let go of things that we think belong. We're going to have to turn to him and let him shape us. So God meets us where we're at. God lifts us up out of where we are. And God repeats the process all over again. This is the process of salvation and sanctification. Lather, rinse, repeat, you know. I'm going to close with one uh, last application. One, only one application, actually. A very practical one, in fact. When you wash your hair, 
do some introspection. When you wash your hair, do some introspection. It's really simple. Whenever you wash your hair, do some introspection. During that moment that you're washing your hair, God, ask God, what is it that I've allowed to shape my identity? Where have I placed my identity outside of you? Ask God what sin habits you need to let go of. Ask God to reveal things that you've done or said throughout that day that you need to let go of. Let's, let's live in that process of regular repentance and sanctification, giving ourselves over to Him on a daily basis. I'm going to go ahead and close out with a word of prayer, and then we're going to have our time of worship, and then we'll come back and I'll offer the benediction. God, thank you so much for your grace, your mercy, your goodness, your love. You have met us where we were at. You lifted us up and you've called us forward to greater levels of holiness to, to line up with the true identity you've given us. Thank you, God. Help us to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. 